Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm your host, Ben Chu. Our economic emergency has only just begun. That was how the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, kicked off his 2020 spending review. There were certainly some very sobering forecasts from the Treasury's independent forecaster, the Office for Budget Responsibility. The worst hit to GDP this year since 1709. A deficit of £394 billion, almost 20% of the entire economy. Plus some very politically controversial decisions from the Chancellor. A cash freeze in the pay of many public sector workers and a cut in the foreign aid budget. Now, joining me to discuss that is our political editor, Andrew Woodcock, and our business reporter, Ben Chapman. Hi to both of you. Now, I'm going to start with you, Andrew. You've been in the post-statement Treasury briefing, um, which happens after these events. Can you give us an impression of what the main message the Treasury wants people and the public to take away from today? Is it, you know, the continued big spending which we're getting, or is it a warning about the inevitable fiscal consolidation to come? What are your thoughts? Well, I think there are three big messages that uh, Mr. Sooner was trying to get across with this um, spending review. Um, first of all, the message he wants to go out is that um, the government is still protecting um, voters against COVID. He was talking about the, 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 the sums already devoted to COVID spending have now reached £280 billion, and he promised another £55 billion for next year on public um, public spending going towards um, you know the the protection protection of lives and livelihoods, as he puts it. Beyond that, um, he wanted to get across the message that um, public service spending would continue to rise on things like the NHS and on um, schools. Though there's there's some some doubts around exactly how generous it's going to be, and he wanted to send the message that um, the government wasn't going to be um, knocked off track on its um, its more overarching um, promises to um, to invest in the country, to invest in infrastructure in particular, and to um, level up the country. Now, those are, those are the three positive messages he wanted to get across. But I think there's a there's a secondary message which was spoken a little less um, loudly, but um, he said um, said clearly that um, you, you you've mentioned the um, the terrible. Um, prognosis of the office for budget budget responsibility on on what um mm. what the uk's um uh, finances are going to look like over the next few years and um he he spelt them out and he he said um that um you know the situation in his words is clearly unsustainable over the medium term now the medium term for for the average layman that's that's four or five years into the future and over that mm. period we've just heard from the office for budget responsibility they're looking at 46 billion pounds worth of um tax rises or spending cuts in order to get the finances back on track, in order to balance things a bit, um, not to get rid of our debt or to get rid of our borrowing, but simply to get things on, on a sustainable level. And that's that's an, a large amount of money, and it's going to fall due around the time of the next general election. So that's, uh, it's a very difficult position for a chancellor to be in. Yeah. Now, I was listening to the OBR uh, pointing that out. And what struck me about it, actually, was the fact that that sort of those kind of figures about 40 billion, 2% of GDP, roughly, are not that different, to be honest, from the kind of consolidation that a lot of economists and a lot of forecasters were talking about would be needed before the crisis, because people were talking about the ageing society, 
uh, the fact that we are spending more on health and those pressures will go up also for social care. So 2% of GDP is a sort of medium term consolidation, whether that's tax cuts, sorry, tax rises or spending cuts is kind of in line with that. So these were there's a lot of very uh, sobering figures, as I said earlier, from the OBR. But actually, in terms of the the overall damage, I think it's not as bad as it might have been, put it that way. But let me just follow up, Andy. I mean, there was talk, wasn't there, of tax rises possibly being uh, announced today. There was that Sunday Times, I think, pretty gave a pretty strong steer that we might be able to expect some of that but we didn't get any is that do you think the treasury backed off at the last minute what are your what's your impression well the, the feeling i've had from the treasury coming into this spending review is that they know that tax rises are coming but then now is not the time for them because now mm. is the moment when the the country is emerging we hope from a global pandemic um it's also it's going through the inevitable disruption which um uh, Brexit is going to cause in a month's time when we leave the customs union, we leave the um, single market, we're suddenly on a completely set of diff- a different set of trading rules with the EU and we don't know what they are yet. Um, as we go into 2021, I think the Treasury is relying to a great degree on as the vaccines come out, as the treatments work, hopefully as um, as uh, COVID melts away as a problem they want the country to get out there and spend they want consumer spending to drive um a fast and if possible a v-shaped recovery from um from this uh, this recession we've just had and to introduce tax rises at this point would pull the rug out from underneath that to, to quite an, an extent i mean we've already had um responses from the union saying that um to uh, impose a pay freeze at this point would have the same impact that um, you know effectively it's it's like a tax rise but people whose whose pay doesn't go up in the, in the public sector and you lose a little bit of money that you were, you were hoping to get and that means that you have less to spend that means that all the businesses that are reopening and the pubs and the restaurants that are reopening have less revenue and that um, slows down the recovery and there's you know there's a big argument still over whether in 2010 um, you know it was right to consolidate then there'll be the same argument now should we be letting it rip letting the economy um revive should we try to should, when rather do we need to consolidate when do we need to tighten in order to stop the um the the financial situation getting completely unsustainable yeah and you know you mentioned it before but he uh, sunak will not want to be putting up taxes going into the next election you know immediately before that as well so we'll wait and see how that pans out a lot will i'm sure depend on how whether we get that v-shaped recovery whether we get that strong recovery uh and you know the obr did put out a sort of optimistic scenario it has three scenarios actually today rather than uh, just one as is normal um, so he'll be, I'm sure the, the Chancellor will be hoping like mad that we get the, the more optimistic one. But let me turn to you now, Ben Chapman. Um, the Chancellor did announce a lot of uh, infrastructure spending. It's kind of penciled in, but we got more flesh on the bones from it. What are you? What have you picked up from businesses uh, in response to the, the spending review today? Was there, and do you feel that they, there was much for them to feel positive about? I think the response has been very mixed, Ben. I mean, there's obvious concern about the scale of the economic damage here, which is huge. And I think that's the main thing coming through. I think there's also relief uh, that the government is still willing to spend and not to raise taxes on businesses, as you mentioned. Um, But there's concern that it it might not be enough to get us out of the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, there, There were some positives, 
like the announcement of a national infrastructure bank. Uh, the, infra the Institute of Directors very much welcomed that one, um, saying it would provide a significant boost for business confidence. But there was um, a lot of things that weren't mentioned, uh, the main one being Brexit, which the IOD also flagged. Uh, the fact that such a huge thing on the horizon, the end of the transition period, wasn't mentioned. Um, and beyond that, yeah. there are also huge concerns about unemployment, which, as Andy said, uh, has a big impact on demand for businesses. We're expecting that to go up to 2.6 million in just a few months. So that's a huge concern as well. Yeah. And it was notable, I think, that the uh, the OBR, which doesn't usually model the impact of a no-deal Brexit, because it usually says we can only model what government policy is. Government policy has been to get a deal, still is to get a deal. But they felt the need today to actually outline what the impact, the short-term impact of a no-deal Brexit would be. And it was pretty grim. 2% uh, yeah. of GDP uh, instantly you know, locked off. Uh, unemployment rising to about eight and a half percent rather than seven and a half percent. So that's a pretty significant impact. Mm -hmm. And they were spelling that out. And no mention from that, as Labour pointed out, in from Rishi Sunak in in his speech. Uh, and so it's no surprise that businesses are, are are pointing that out as well. But Ben, let me talk about let's let me ask about the workers, if you like. We've heard about business. Let's talk about the workers. What's been the reaction to the uh, public sector pay freeze, which, of course, is a real terms cut if you get inflation of, I think, 1.6% next year, which is what the OBR is projecting. What have, what's been the reaction there? As you might expect, it's been rather negative. I think the TUC General Secretary, Frances O'Grady, summed it up. Um, she said, for all the talk of levelling up, this spending review will level down Britain hitting key workers' pay and breaking the government's promises to the lowest paid. Um, and pointing out that a lot of public sector workers have effectively had a decade of uh, their pay at a standstill, which kind of undermines the Chancellor's argument that this is about fairness, that private sector workers are seeing their wages fall the most during this recession, so public sector workers should also uh, bear the pain as well. But if you look in the longer term, uh, it's it's not quite as, as clear cut as that. Um, and there was also, of course, also on pay, there was a, a rise in the minimum wage, uh, but that was um, that had been expected to be scrapped. And there was also a universal credit. There had been talk that an increase in that of £20 per week was going to be extended. That didn't happen. There was no talk of that in Rishi Sunak's speech. That will affect millions of the lowest paid workers in the country as well. I had a look at the figures behind this sort of claim that this year has been grossly unfair to private sector workers because uh, public sector workers' pay has supposedly soared, which is basically the argument that Rishi Sunak was making. And my calculations suggest that public sector pay is up by, in real terms, by about 3% over the first nine months of this year, whereas private sector pay is actually flat. Now, that doesn't suggest to me a massive unfairness. And as you point out as well, Ben, as the unions have been pointing out, levelling up, the rhetoric doesn't suggest, um, you know, cutting public sector pay suggests levelling down rather than levelling up. You surely should be trying to bring uh, private sector pay up to give them a strong period of uh, pay growth rather than equalising it the other way. It doesn't quite fit with the rhetoric. But... Um, uh, Andy, I want to come back to you and talk about another big 
political controversy in this statement, which was the decision to cut foreign aid. There was representations made from to the Chancellor not to do this when it was floated from many uh, Conservatives and also from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. But he went ahead and did it anyway. I want to know from you, how politically tricky is this going to be? Because I think it will require a change in the law for them to do it. Is there any chance that they might not be able to get that through if there's a rebellion? How is it looking? Um, you're right, it will require a change in the law because the 0.7% of GNI um, figure for um, for foreign aid is enshrined by law. It was, it was put there by David Cameron, I think I'm right in saying. Um, and there have been a string of uh, Tory backbenchers have got up um, after the Mr Sunak's statement to to voice their horror at this um, this decision to 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 ditch that that commitment, which was repeated in the 2019 manifesto. Of course, it's something which um, Boris Johnson claimed to be signed up to. However, it's not. I mean, it's not necessarily something where there is going to be a rebellion of the size that would be required to 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 block the change. You're looking at sort of 40, 45 um, Tory MPs um, needing to, to vote against um, Mr Sunak's proposal. Um, and you have to remember that while it is very controversial in Westminster and while the great and the good of the world and a lot of um, ordinary voters are very concerned about the, um, the aid um, figure, it's not something that uh, the Conservative Party membership is likely to um, to rebel over. In fact, it's something that's likely to be uh, welcomed um, warmly by a lot of the Conservative Party membership and also by a lot of Conservative voters who um, they look at um, the state of the public finances and they look at um, the you know, money that's needed for health or money that's needed for education or defence or whatever it might be. And they say, a lot of people say charity begins at home. So I, th- I think that... Um, while there'll be a big row about this, we've already had, I think, five prime ministers have now come out and said that they don't think it's the right thing for the UK. We've, as you say, the Archbishop of Canterbury, we've had Malala, the um, the uh, uh, Pakistani girl who was shot by the um, by the Taliban, Taliban and uh, later went on to win the Nobel um, uh, Prize for her, her campaigning for girls' education, which incidentally is a um, pet um, subject of the uh, prime ministers. He's been talking about boosting girls' education for, for years and years. Um, there will be a lot of uh, a bigger row about this, and um, it will consume a lot of, um, of, of newspaper column inches, I'm sure. But I think that um, that when it comes down to it, that the the change in law will pass through, and the big question will be: Will it be a permanent change in the law? Will there be a sunset clause yeah. on it? Now, the, the Treasury weren't saying that today; they weren't committing to a sunset clause. So once it's down to zero point five, then campaigners will be worried they're going to have to fight to try and get it back up again. Yeah. And in terms of how much money this decision saves, it's about four billion, which is a lot of money, especially in normal times. But in the context of the present, it does, doesn't seem that much. As I mentioned before, £394 billion of borrowing this year, a clear strategic decision not to consolidate until the economy is uh, sort of recovered uh, in in principle. I want, You mentioned, Andy, about the... Uh, Conservative members' views on this. Is there an element of Rishi Sunak perhaps trying to position himself well in their eyes with this decision? Because it doesn't actually fundamentally change the shape of the public finances. It doesn't say that much in the scheme of things. Is there an element of politics sort of showing you that I'm in tune with what you're thinking, if you like? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's a totemic issue for a lot of people who, um, you know, 
they they regard it as essentially wasted money. I mean, I, I think a lot of these people who um, have concerns about it, they they support aid when there's a specific emergency, when there's a famine or a flood or whatever. They want Britain to be out there helping people. But the more structural um, side of aid is it's not um, something which um, has been sold very well to the, the public at large, and a lot of it is regarded as being waste. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about money going to India or China when they've got um, they've got um, you know space programs of their own and so on. Um, certainly, for the Tory um, grassroots support in the shires. Saying that you're going to cut aid is something which is gets you a big tick. And politically, um, a, a conservative MP or a conservative minister who fights for um, the preservation of the existing aid spending is not bolstering his his um, his standing in the party at all. Um, virtually anything that Mr Sunak does at the moment is interpreted as a, sending a political signal and preparing himself for um, the the possible succession to, to Mr Johnson, of course. And um, yeah, this is something that will, will have done him no harm in those terms. Okay, well, Andrew and Ben, thanks so much for joining me. That's all we have time for today. If you're a new listener, please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. Also, leave us a rating and a comment too, so that more people can find us. You can click the link in the description of this podcast as well to subscribe to Independent Premium for further analysis of what we've talked about today. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.